Anyway, I am so happy to be back. I just want to tell you I love you. I'm glad to be back. For those of you who don't know who I am, <laughs> you just came to the church in the last three months. Uh, I'm Pastor JR, but I'm no longer lead Pastor JR. I'm just Pastor JR. And to be honest with you, I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, I'm glad my son now can have all the pressure. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to release that. And uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I've had an incredible time. The, uh, Mike and, and, the, and, the, and the elders decided that it was imperative that I go away and take a sabbatical after leading this church for 29 years. And uh, so I did. And I'll be honest, I fought a little bit at first, uh, you know, and, uh, but uh, it was awesome. Uh, I felt like I really had not relaxed fully for 29 years because whenever I'd go on vacation, I'd always be thinking about the church and thinking about this and thinking about that. And, you know, it's just my nature, I guess. Anyway, uh, the, the thing was, I really got to relax and uh, I really got to hear from the Lord. I got to relax with my wonderful wife, Yvonne, and we, we just had a wonderful time. And then, as you know, I was just in Pakistan. And that was not a mission trip. I mean, that was not a vacation. That was a mission trip. Uh, that was, and that was not relaxing. In fact, the temperature averaged 112 each day. And, and, the, and the, the air there is horrendous. I mean, at the, they have no EPA standards, so the pollution is just unbelievable. You feel so sorry for the people there. But I want to tell you, it was, <laughs> I was experiencing 100, and, you know, this was for almost two weeks, and uh, 112 degrees, and I came back to snow. <laughs> it was like, whoa, this, this is weird. But I'll tell you, the snow felt great. How many know you need to cool down after being in 112 degrees for, for quite a <laughs> And so I, I wasn't unhappy with the snow. It was, it was good, and it was cleansing, and it was, the air was so pure and clean. I just thought, ah, it's good to be able to breathe again. But I want to thank you so much for your prayers. I needed your prayers probably this time more than ever. I've never gotten sick in Pakistan. In fact, I haven't been sick in so long. I got so sick there. Uh, I was on the Pakistani diet plan. Uh, that's from both ends. Anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bad one. I just want to tell you, I don't recommend it. Uh, you do lose weight, but I don't recommend it. Uh, and somebody said it's a cleansing. Yeah, it's a cleansing, all right. Anyway, uh, but I needed your prayers just to recover. Oh, man, it was tough. And uh, so I just want to thank you so much. Uh, we had probably the greatest breakthrough ever uh, that in the five years I've been there. And uh, I'll... <laughs> And this picture cannot be streamed, but I'll show you guys a picture. Uh, this was the first time ever in a major mosque uh, that a believer in Christ had, had been able to speak. Spoke for three minutes. Uh, there it is. That's, that's Iman Leif <laughs> speaking there, and you can see him. Uh, this is 15,000 Muslims. Now, you can't see it from this angle. This is just taken from the side. You can see him standing there. But there, you'll, you know, you'll just, that's another area. But it, it was a huge place, and this was, this was incredible. Now, most of the people were so excited about this. However, there were a few radicals that were not too happy, so all Leif's social media had to come down, and uh, it was a little tense. <laughs> and so, but I'll tell you, this was an incredible breakthrough, and you guys were part of this. This was history-making. And I don't know if you know it, but God is really moving in, in the Middle East right now, and uh, it's so important. I, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a stemming of the tide. It's amazing. Uh, there's a stemming of the tide of radicalism like I have not seen in the five years I've been over there. And, uh, you know, we got a long way to go, but I'll tell you, it, it's, it's really powerful. And there's a lot of Christians and Muslims and Sikhs and uh, others who are working together to bring that peace, to bring, you know, and to, to really change the atmosphere. And, uh, of course, 
Leif has had a big part of this. I got to be part of it with him, and you got to be part of it because I was there representing you. So give yourselves a great hand. Thank you. So I'm glad to be back alive, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to say this too. Uh, today I want to talk about identity crisis. I want you to say this with me. Say identity crisis, and then go ah. <laughs> now, every one, all of us face identity crisis through our lives. When you were born, it was an identity crisis. You know, uh, I mean, all through our lives. I remember uh, I, I was in a one-room schoolhouse up until fourth grade. In fourth grade, we moved, into, uh, we moved into this little elementary school, which housed first through sixth grade. And, uh, but, but I remember all of a sudden in seventh grade, I went to the high school. The high school was seventh through, it was junior high and high school combined, seventh through 12th grade. And I remember going there and man, I was scared. I was a little seventh grader, a 98 pound weakling. I wasn't a wrestler yet. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I remember going there and I remember just freaking out, trying to find my classes. I felt like I was in this huge building, which was big. And, uh, and then back then in, in my day, they had, these guys had black leather jackets and chains and they would come up and slam uh, us little guys up into the lockers. So just to, walk down the, just to walk down the hall was terrifying, and you'd get slammed into the locker. And I had an identity crisis. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. I, I mean, it was tense. And, uh, you know, we all go through identity crisis. I talked to a guy on, when I was away. Uh, he was a guy about 45 years old. He had worked with this company since he got out of college, he had worked with this company. It had gone well. All of a sudden, they downsized, and he just got let go. He'd been out of work for one year, and he was devastated. I mean, I got a chance to talk with him. He was a believer in Jesus. I don't know how strong he was, but he, uh, he just felt like he was worthless. He felt like he couldn't provide for his family. He felt, I mean, he just felt totally, totally worthless, and his identity was totally, totally destroyed. Now, I know we say, hey, we have our our identity in Jesus Christ. And we do here, but oftentimes we don't have it here. And I'm going to talk to you today because during this time away, uh, you know, I went through a somewhat of an identity crisis. I was the lead pastor here for 29 years. All of a sudden, I'm gone for three months and I'm not lead pastor JR. I'm not even pastor JR. I'm just JR. <laughs> now, that, that was a little bit, at first, it was a little rough. Now, I got to like it actually. <laughs> and so I'm going to share some of the things the Lord really ministered to me through this. But, you know, I remember my, my I'm the oldest of three, three boys, and my middle brother, uh, he was, a, you know, an excellent athlete, uh, and he was, uh, he actually won the state championship in wrestling uh, in his junior year. Uh, he actually, he, he was a running back, and he also played linebacker, and uh, uh, he was having trouble with his back. He also played lacrosse, uh, and uh, he had trouble with his back, and he went in. They couldn't figure out what it was. And back then, I don't know if they even had MRIs back then, but anyway, they went in to do surgery. The guy that worked, uh, worked on the New York football giants went in and did a surgery on him, and what he found is that his spine was not connected from birth. And the, the surgeon, he 
So he had to fuse the spine, but the surgeon said, you're very fortunate. You could have been paralyzed, especially in, you know, the, the sports you were involved in. You were very, very fortunate. Fortunately, you had strong muscle structure that kept your spine in line. Anyway, he had, to, had his spine fused. Well, he could not do any more of those sports. He couldn't do any contact sports after that. And so suddenly he just lost his total identity because his identity was as an athlete. He totally lost it, went off, kind of got into drugs and other things. And he came back around, you know, but, and, and the Lord came into his life. But, but it was just a really, really difficult time. And so I, I just want to say this. We we all go through identity crises. We all go through times where our identity is challenged. Now, what I want to talk to you today is I want to get your identity really, really grounded in Jesus Christ, where your identity. I know we all say we know that, yeah, my identity is Christ. I preach that. But I realized it wasn't really fully in Christ the way I thought it was. Uh, it was here, but it wasn't here. And so I, I got to tell you that it's so essential that you, because you're all going to face identity crisis. Uh, you know, uh, just talk to somebody today who, you know, who, you know, their spouse left and all of a sudden it's an identity crisis. You know, you, you don't know who you are. You wonder, I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. And so I just want to, I want to say to you today that in the midst of an identity crisis, you can be, you can really know who you are in Christ. It's better to know who you are first and have that foundation rooted so that when you hit that, you're going to be able to handle it better. And so today you might say, oh, pastor, I'm not going through anything right now. Cheer up. You will be. Okay. So here, <laughs> trust me. And uh, so first of all, um, you know, I just want to, uh, I want to just pick out just a, a couple of things. So uh, first of all, the first thing, the first thing that I learned, I don't need notes on this because I, I got it here, but the first thing I learned, and this is a big thing, the first thing I learned is that I am valuable and loved because of who I am, not what I do. Let me say that again. I'm valuable and loved for who I am, not what I do. Now, I want you to repeat that after me. Say, I'm valuable and loved for who I am, not what I do. It's so easy to have our identity in what we do. It's so easy to be caught up in the things that we're doing, you know, and that's not wrong to do things. It's just wrong to have our identity because it's easily challenged. It's easily can shift. It can change at any minute. Things can change and shift. You just never know. And so the bottom line is when this happens. Now, here's what I want you to see. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, probably 20, 21, 22, those two verses. Actually, go up to, uh, yeah, um, yeah, this is good, 21 and 22. Okay, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the, heaven, the heavens opened. So basically, there was an open heaven over Jesus. Now, notice what happens after that, the next verse. It says, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form as a dove. Now, it wasn't a dove. I know some movies make a dove come down. But the Holy Spirit came gently down upon him, not like a, a shot, but it came gently down upon him, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, let me ask you a question. Had Jesus done any ministry before this time? I mean, I'm sorry, not be, yeah. Had he done any ministry before this? No, absolutely not. Uh, had he done anything before this? Not really. The only thing he did when 12 years old, he confounded a few 
a few people in the temple. But basically, he had done absolutely nothing. He hadn't <laughs> gone to the cross. He hadn't done any ministry. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't fought the devil in the wilderness. He'd done absolutely nothing. And yet, the Father says, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want you to know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are his beloved son and daughter in whom he is well pleased. No matter what you do with the rest of your life, you need to know that you are valuable for who you are, not what you do. You, you know, some people say to me, I feel like a failure. I feel like I haven't done the things. I, I've had these dreams and they haven't happened. And I want you to know something. God loves you just as much. He loves you just the same. He cares so much for you. You know, I can't tell you the compassion and love that he has for you. I felt it in both services today as I was praying for people. I felt this incredible compassion that he had for different people that I was praying for. And, and that's his compassion. That's not my compassion. I didn't know some of the people I prayed for, some of the people I did, but, but, but I'm just saying it, it's, it's, it's amazing. He loves us so much, but we don't get it. We think, well, when we're doing well, then he's really happy with us, and then he's pleased, but when we're not doing well, he, you know, no, he's well pleased with you just the way you are. You know, one of the things I learned <coughs> when, I was, when I was on my sabbatical, uh, there was some point I was just kind of laying around, and this had been for a few weeks, and I felt like I wasn't being productive, and, and that's to put it mildly. I wasn't being productive. And the Lord came to me and he just said, you know what? You are just as valuable to me and I love you just as much as you're just laying around here in your sabbatical than when you were pastoring, lead pastoring an awesome church. You're just as valuable to me. And I went, wow, really? You know, I kind of went, really, Lord? You know, really? Do you really feel that way? Or is that, is that me hoping that that's you? No, <laughs> it was him. It was him. And, and, you know, when you can get a hold of that, I got to tell you, it just brings a peace. It brings a calm into your life. And, and let me give you another scripture, too. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was applauded. He was, and he, this guy, I mean, he was trying to win the approval of God. I mean, he had studied under Gamaliel. He was the scholar of the day. Uh, not only that, he was the one chosen to put down this upstart cult that was threatening Judaism called Christianity. And he was the one that persecuted Christians. And, and so he was, I mean, he was all in. He was like, okay, man, I'm, I'm doing it for you, God. I'm doing it for you. And then he has this incredible encounter, a love encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it totally transforms his life. And he begins to get a foundation of love rather than performance. And here's what happens. If you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, you can turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And he writes this. And this is not just, you know, this is revelation that he learned from the struggles in his life. Because he went through some major struggles after he became a believer. All hell broke loose. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, chapter 11, really 11, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, it tells about all the struggles he went through. Uh, just life was not fun on the outside, but he knew something on the inside that rescued him and caused him to be the incredible, powerful person that he was and wrote much of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, it says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
See, when all the storms come and the difficult things come in your life, you're going to be rooted and grounded in his love. There's nothing that can shake you when that happens. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And then he goes on to say this. May you experience, notice the word experience. May you experience the love of Christ. Now, he's not talking about intellectually understanding it. He's talking about experiencing it. How do you experience the love of Christ? When you screw up and he's there for you to pick you up rather than push you down, that's an experience of his love. When you're rejected and you feel incredible pain and he comes And somehow he ministers below the rejection, even though it's really painful. And you know that he loves you despite the fact that you've been rejected. I just want to tell you that there's many ways you experience his love. Maybe it's just in worship. And maybe it's just going for a walk. And you just experience his love. We need to experience his love on an ongoing basis. And he wants us to experience his love. On, during my sabbatical, I got to experience his love more often because I was more relaxed. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, overly busy. And I got to realize just how much he loves me for who I am. Say this with me again. I'm loved for who I am, not for what I do. Let me just finish this passage. He says, may you experience the love of Christ Though it's too great to understand fully, we can't understand it, we can't comprehend it, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now, very important to get a hold of that. Now, I'm not saying just because of this service you're going to get it, but I believe that you're going to get it to a point where he's going to begin, you're going to become more aware of those experiences of his love, just as you're going through your day. If you hit a wall where all hell breaks loose, Realize that his love's going to be there for you. He's not leaving you just out there. Uh, Okay, the second thing that I learned, and I'm trying, I want to bring these to you because I know this is going to help you if you can get a hold of this. It's helped me tremendously. And it really was helpful going to Pakistan with this foundation. And uh, and so, second thing, the second thing is that, that I guess the best way to say this is uh, I'm going to put it in the first person, but I am God's child above all else. I want you to say that with me. I am God's child above all else. Now, when you begin to realize that you're his son, you're his daughter, when you begin to realize that is above all else, he's the creator of the universe, and he's, you're his child. You know, John chapter 1, verse 12, says, as many as received him, to them he gave them the power to become the children of God. When you received Jesus, you became his child. Now, God loved you before you received him, before you became a believer, before you came into the kingdom. God loved you deeply. However, you really weren't his child yet. It's like you couldn't be fully adopted in until you received Christ. You've got to have him to break that barrier of sin and shame and all those things so you can have that relationship with the father so you can have the father-son relationship. And it's so important to know that. And so when you know you're his son, that's... Trumps everything else. Let me show you the scripture on this. Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8, 14 and 15. This is what it says. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says this. All who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Did you hear that? 
all who are led by the Spirit are children to God. And then he goes on to say, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. When you re- came into the kingdom, when you received him, you also received the Holy Spirit, and he adopted you, and now we call him what? <clears throat> Abba Father. That's the most intimate term. That's even more intimate than daddy. I know some people say, well, you need to approach God, you know, Father God, like from a real distance. Let me tell you something. God wants you to know how much he loves you, and he wants you to draw close to him. When you're going through a tough time, he wants to be able to wrap his arms around you like a supernatural heavenly father and let you know that he's with you, he's not leaving you, you're going to make it, and it's so important to know that. you got to get that down in your spirit because you're his son, you're his daughter. You're more important than anyone else on the face of the earth. His son died for you to make this possible. Think about it. And you're going to get to spend eternity with them. Think about it. You know, I know we live in a fallen world, and that's why we have identity crisis, because we have struggles here. This is, this is a difficult place to live. We have struggles. And, 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 you know, when I was in Pakistan, my heart went, it goes out to the people there so much. I mean, the women are under such heavy bondage. It's just, and, the, and, and even the men, it's like, ah. Uh, you just, you, just, oh, you just want to set people free. You want to just let them know, you know, they see God as this kind of angry God, you know, that they're trying to appease. And, and, uh, and you just want to say, no, no, he's love. He's for you. He's, he wants to help you, you know. And, 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 and I got to tell you, but it's the same here on this, you know, in the United States too. And here in Castle Rock and the surrounding areas. I mean, God is a God who is, he, he wants us to know that we're his kids and he's crazy about us, and he'll do anything for us, and he's with us. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through struggles. We will. But when you know he's with you, you're going to make it through those struggles. You know, um, I've, always, I've always really, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, I always needed his love before I became a believer, and even after I became a believer, I, I was always trying to gain his love, I think, and I never really just accepted his love. Ephesians 1.6 says, you're accepted in the Beloved. And so you don't have to do anything to prove you're a son. You don't have to do anything to prove you're a daughter. You just need to allow him to love you. And as he loves you and you walk in that relationship, man, it changes everything. You're fun to be around. Dogs and little kids like you. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I want to go to point number three. So first of all, let's just review this. Number one, I want you to just say this with me. And we want to get this in our spirit, but say, uh, I am loved for who I am, not because of what I do. And see, that trumps everything. That means, you know, successes, failures, any, any of that stuff. The second thing is, I'm his son, and actually, I'm his child, and that is above all else. You know, and when you can keep that in perspective, then your identity is in him. Now, the third thing is, if you keep those two things, that yields the third, which is, you know, when we have the true identity, then say, I am led by the Holy Spirit and not driven by self. Now, if we don't have a correct identity, we will be driven by self. And I know that because I have at times been driven by self. And, you know, I think it's this idea that, well, God, I'm going to do great things for you. And so one day I'll stand before you and you're going to go, wow, 
JR, I'm really impressed by the things you did for me. Guess what? That isn't going to happen. And you're not going to impress him either. Because when we stand before God, we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that you will not be judged for your sin? God would be a strange God if he forgave you his sin through the blood of Jesus, but then had you stand for your sins on judgment day. The word judgment seat of Christ is the word bima in the Greek, and it's the reward seat of Christ. It's the place where Olympic athletes receive the rewards. So when you stand before God, you're going to be rewarded. Well, what are you going to be rewarded for? Are you going to go, God, look at all these things I did for you. Now I'm ready for my rewards. No, I don't think so. You know what you're going to be rewarded for? You're going to be rewarded for the things you were obedient to do that he called you to do. Not the things you tried to do in your flesh and your, yourself that you tried to do for him. God doesn't want you to do anything for him. Stop striving. Don't do anything for him. Partner with the Holy Spirit and let him do things through you and he'll get the glory. Amen? And if you'll do that, when you stand before him at the, at the reward seat of Christ, which would be a better translation, when you stand before him at the reward seat of Christ, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were obedient to do and carry out as the Holy Spirit directed you. You weren't directed and pushed by self. Now, let me, let me give you a scripture that's probably one you haven't read for a while. This is Haggai. Say Haggai. Haggai. That's actually in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And you can turn there. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, and this was God speaking through Haggai to the Israelites who were really driven by self. And he says this. Then he says, oops, that's wrong. Okay, here we go. He says this. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, you need to check your ways. Consider your ways. And then he says this, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. In other words, they weren't being led by the Spirit, were they? You see, they were doing all their own thing and, you know, thinking that, you know, and, but it wasn't amounting to anything. We only live one life here, folks. We might as well live it for him. We might as well pour ourselves out for him and be obedient to him. And whatever we do, whatever phase of life we're in, whatever work phase, whatever, whatever we're in. You know, uh, I remember uh, talking to a mom, oh, probably a year or two ago. Uh, you know, her, she had three kids and the last one left the nest. And she goes, I feel totally empty, totally worthless. I feel like my whole purpose in life is over. I don't even know. I don't even have a reason to exist. No, 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 no. That's not true. Remember, you are valuable for who you are, not for what you do. You are a daughter of God. And you need to be led by the Spirit, not driven by self. How do I know when I'm driven by self? Let me give you some examples. Number one is, I'm too busy. I'm always so busy, and I say, you know, I am so busy. Even like that's some kind of a tag that makes me feel better about myself because I'm so busy. I want to tell you, that's not something to be proud of. 
That's another. How's another way? Always in a hurry. I can relate to that. <laughs> I got to tell you, during my sabbatical, I was not pulled over by one policeman. <laughs> they often have mercy on me, but I didn't get pulled over. I didn't get pulled over because I wasn't in a hurry. And you know, when somebody would cut me off, I wouldn't give them the sign of the evangelist one way to heaven. I wouldn't do that. I would, and so... So, and I realized that I wasn't as, as much in a hurry as I used to be. I wasn't in a hurry. If somebody, you know, I remember there was a guy, we were getting groceries, Yvonne and I, somewhere. I don't know whether we were in Arizona or Mexico or somewhere. Anyway, we were getting some groceries, and this guy was behind us, and he was, like, really frantic. And I said, are you in a hurry? He goes, yeah. I said, here, just jump in. I would never have done that before. <laughs> Wait your turn, sucker. I'm in line right now. <laughs> And so, so anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I realized how hurried I was. And it's horrible to be in a hurry all the time. It's just not good. I don't think it's good for your health. I don't think it's good for your wife. I don't think it's good for your dog. I don't think it's good for anybody. I don't think it's good for your kids. I don't think it's good for your friends. Anyway, you know, it, it's not good to be in a hurry all the time. And here's the third area is it's really hard for you to rest. Because as soon as you start to rest, your mind starts to say, oh, you need to do this. Oh, you better do this. Oh, you forgot to do this. Oh, you better do that. Let, let, me, let, me, let me show you something about Jesus. Now, Jesus was a guy who, when he walked on the earth, yeah, he was son of God, but he walked as a son of man. He did not operate out of his deity when he was on the earth. He operated out of a connection with the Father. John 5, 19 says, Jesus says this, he says, I can do nothing except what I see the Father doing. Now, the word there, see, really means, in the Greek, it's to experience, what I experience from the Father. I only do what I experience from the Father. So, in other words, he was led by the Holy Spirit. He was totally led. Now, there was a time where ministry was so exciting, and ministry can be extremely exciting. Work can be exciting. I mean, life can be exciting. You can get so caught up in it. And so, the disciples were really caught up in the ministry. They were, like, really excited, and they were just going overboard. And so, we pick it up in Luke chapter, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, about verse 30, I think, and uh, and it says this, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both that they had done and what they had taught. Jesus, we did this. We taught this. We did this. I mean, they were like going for it. And then he said to them, come aside. <laughs> I'm sure, I don't know if he said exactly like that, but come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and what? And what? Rest a while. Now think about that. He was saying, guys, you know what? There's times where you got to just rest. You got to let it go. You got to not just get caught up in the rat race. And you got to come into that place of rest. And then goes on to say this. Uh, he says, rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They were so busy, and the disciples were so driven. And Jesus is trying to tell them, you know what? You need to come aside. We need to get our breath. And we need to refire. And then we'll have something to give to the people. We'll have something to minister to the people. And I've learned this over the, the 29 years that I was the lead pastor here, and I'm, I'm still learning it. I realized that I had to go off at times and pray and fast. I had to go off at times and, and refire. I had to go off and rest, even though there were times I didn't want to. And it seemed like just when I had that schedule, it seemed like all these things would mount up and try to keep me from going. And I want to just tell you, there's times where you need to rest. There's times where you need to pause. There's times where you need to take a deep breath. I know we live in a frantic age. 
You know, when you look back 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago, everything was so much slower, especially with, you know, with social media and everything else. I mean, it's just crazy. We thought all this would make our lives simpler. Instead, it made it more frantic. And so I just want to encourage you in the midst of all this, it's so, so important to rest. So, so basically, what am I saying? If you're going to walk in the identity that God has, and I, I want to close with a story about my dad. My dad was, you know, he was an orphan. I think I told you that. And uh, he was just going all the time. He was so driven. I mean, he was a traveling salesman. I never saw him. I never had much relationship with my dad growing up. And he was just going, going, going. He was always worried. He was always telling me how he was in competition with the other salespeople. And, you know, it was just a crazy world. He was always worried about money. He was always, I mean, it was just, now he did become a believer late in life. But he never got his identity really in Christ. And even though he became a believer and he's redeemed and he's, he's in heaven now and I'm thankful for that, he, I just felt sad because in his latter years when he'd kind of lost it and he just would go sit in his office. And I said, Dad, why do you go to your office and just sit there? He goes, well, that's all I know to do. And sometimes he said, well, sometimes I call a customer. But his business was done. I mean, it wasn't. And, but it was so sad. I don't want that to happen to anybody where you're so driven that you miss out that number one, and say this with me again, I'm loved for who I am, not for what I do. I am a child of God above all else. And I am led by the Holy Spirit, not driven by self. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you and praise you for each and every person here. I'm going to, why don't you stand up to your feet? Go ahead, stand. Father, I thank you for each and every person here. And right now I ask you to come, minister life. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, man, I don't know. You talked about eternity and how great it's going to be with Jesus and everybody and loved ones. And I'm not sure I'm headed there. If you haven't given your life to Jesus or if you've pulled away from him, I want to give you an opportunity just with heads bowed. You can just bow your head. I'm not going to call you forward or anything, but... I want you to just raise your hand. We had some people in the last service. So just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray for you. As you say, Lord, I do. I need you in my life. Thank you, Father, for that hand. God bless you. Just kind of wave at me. I don't want to miss you this morning. It's so important that you make that step. God bless you. Anyway, God bless you. I see that. God bless you. Anyway, anybody else? Thank you, Lord. God bless you in the back. I see you. Good. Tell you, put your hands down. I see your hand. God bless you as well. I'll tell you, put your hands down. Just say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. Forgiving your life for me. Please forgive me of all my sin, all my mistakes. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, that I'm now your child and I give you the glory. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Hallelujah. God bless you. 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 By the way, uh, Elder Jeff will be right down here. You can talk to him. He'll help you. He has some material to help you. He'll be right down here on the side. Anyway, I want you to say this with me. I'm loved because of who I am, not because of what I do. I am God's child, and that's above all else. I'm led by the Holy Spirit, not driven by self. And I give you all the glory, Jesus. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. Hallelujah.